couple of years ago, I spent several weekends in New York City um, helping teach a course, a preaching course for Dr. York at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary's Extension campus in New York City on the um, corner of 72nd and Broadway. Some of you may think, what business does he have teaching a preaching course? Well, it's similar to if you coach a, a basketball team or if you manage a baseball team, you don't actually have to be able to do it yourself to tell other people how to do it. You know how it is. You can tell your boss how to do his job better, your pastor how to, how to run his church, or maybe, maybe you can think you can tell your spouse how to do their things better. That's kind of the way it is with, uh, with, with preaching. And in going up there, I had a little bit of time to, to visit some sites, and I traveled all over the city and came down to the east side one day where the UN building is along the East River. Of course, you've probably seen that. You see all the flags of the more than 190 member nations that are gathered there. There's a lot of security there. You see the barricades, you see the, the police officers all lined up, which is what you kind of expect. What you don't expect is what you see across the street. It's an engraving from Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4 in which it says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Neither shall they study war no more. Nation will no longer rise up against nation. It was a purpose for the United Nations and its founding in the 1940s was to do such a thing. And you can argue over whether or not it's been successful but the scripture is very clear that there is a day coming when there will be no more fighting. And there will be a much better government than the one that we have now. And a lot of times we have the tendency to think that ancient Israel is just waiting for Jesus to be born in a manger so that everyone can be saved from their sins. But a lot of people in Israel weren't looking for that, truth be told. The song was more along the lines of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Because Israel spent much of its existence in captivity, one way or another. They had 400 years of bondage among the Egyptians. Eventually Moses had to go before Pharaoh and says, God says to you, let my people go. Then when they got their own land, they had to fight these tribal wars against warring nations. They had to go against the Philistines. So you hear the story of David and Goliath. And then they had to go against the Assyrians. And the Assyrians would come and would pillage their villages and sack their cities and take away their women and their children. So much so that when Jonah is told to go to Nineveh by the Lord in the book of Jonah, he runs the other way to Tarshish. And the reason that he doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because it's the capital of Assyria. And he knows everything that the Assyrians have done to the Israelites. And when those people do repent, he's upset about it because he wants to see vengeance. You hear people today voting for presidential candidates by kind of justifying their position about him. Well, what he said and what he meant to say are two different things, and I don't agree with him on everything, but at least he'll be better than the alternative. You see people kind of making these sort of shaky alliances, hoping that if they can't advance their cause, they at least won't lose ground on what they hold most dear. Well, Israel did that too. They tried to make shaky alliances, pseudo-alliances really, with Egypt and with other nations, but it, it never really worked out for them. More than that, though, they forsook their God for other gods, and finally it came back to bite them, first with the Assyrians and now here in Isaiah's time with the Babylonians. And our problem is for generations as believers, we have placed our hope in, in government and in legislation, and we've been disappointed. We've made alliances with people who we thought would keep their promises, and they haven't kept their promises. Whatever side of the aisle, 
And beyond that, so often we've forsaken our God for other gods, but Isaiah tells us that the problem is not our government, but that there is another government that is coming. And it's the only lasting and satisfying government because it's an eternal one. And this ultimate government that we see is found in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 when he says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of His government and of His kingdom there shall be no end. Of the throne of David and His kingdom and His government and His peace to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. And he says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we know there's going to be a government that you can vote for and rely upon one day. It's just not found right now. Sometimes that can be hard to believe when the world as you know it is crumbling and falling down. And that's why Isaiah has to write to the people of Israel a word of comfort. Because as the Babylonians came in in 586 B.C., they took everything. They destroyed the temple. They took the holy artifacts, defiled them. They took people away from their families. They took women away from their children, husbands away from their wives. And in the middle of all that destruction, in the middle of what had then become the worst crisis in Israel's history, getting in chapter 40 and verse 1, comfort ye, Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is as grass. Its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people are grass. Grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. We get that backwards as believers, don't we? It doesn't say make them comfortable. It doesn't say find comfortable possessions and dwellings and circumstances. He says give them comfort. You see, God's goal is not to make you comfortable. It's not to put you in some kind of comfort zone, but it's to give you the comfort that can only come from knowing that He Himself is in control. And many times, the only time you will know that is during your darkest hours and during your saddest days, not comfortable, but comfort the people. He says, tell them something, Isaiah. Speak tenderly, comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, her sins have been paid. Comfort them. Isn't this how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Unless I go away from you, the Comforter, the Counselor cannot come. We see Jesus, the one who 
is given all things, the one who has the power to raise the dead, nevertheless weeping at the sight of Lazarus in the grave because he knows that he has a people who need his comfort. It's in our suffering that we need comfort the most. Isaiah goes on, he talks about this voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The voice of John the Baptist as the forerunner crying out over Israel to repent and to seek the Lord. Church of God desperately needs to do that today. To repent. To seek His face. He says there's a day coming when your geography is going to change. Not just your physical geography, but your spiritual geography. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. They say ice caps melt just at a fraction inches each year takes forever if you were to go on as a eagle flying over and touching the tops of the mountains just a tad millions and millions of years to ground those mountains down God says it'll all happen in a moment the valleys will be exalted, the mountains and hills will be made low, the crooked will be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the reason is that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and everyone will see it because the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I was talking with someone this past week. We were talking about all the questions that people say that they will have when they get to be with the Lord. Lord, why do you allow good people to suffer? The truth is there's none good, no, not one. Even the best person on this earth is not deserving of God's grace. But we have these questions that we think that when we get to heaven, we got a list of things we're going to ask. You know what my theory is? I don't think we'll care. I think when we're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the circumstances of this life will not even be a thought. Moses comes down from the mountain. He's got white on his face, glowing. Just a glimpse of the glory of God. He says, you'll see this. And, and then he tells us our, our situation here. I'm going to come back to why the mouth of the Lord has spoken. But he says in verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Has anybody ever told you to say something you don't know what to say? It happens to pastors all the time if they're worth anything. A lot of times you don't know because the circumstances of life surround you and Isaiah says the same thing he says what am I supposed to cry all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field we know what happens to grass I was out in Arizona a number of years ago for the convention and got to travel a little bit around the Phoenix area and most of it was was desert and there were some patches of some of the wealthier houses that had this beautiful grass that was well lawn, and it just stood out because it was like an oasis in the middle of that desert. And we asked one of the owners who was watering their lawns, we said, what kind of grass is that? How do you do it? And they said, there's a secret to it. We said, what's that? They said, it's imported. And I said, what is it? They said, it's Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> we had to take that grass all the way back in. 
even that grass will fade. He says, this is what the people are like. The people are as grass. James says this, does he not? A couple thousand years later when he says that the life is as a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Just a mist, vapor, rain, a wind blowing. And then it's gone. And he says, out of that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So Isaiah tells us this is what is happening. This glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. And here's the reason why. Because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Because as soon as God speaks, you need to mark it down. The temptation is to listen to another voice, the same voice that Eve listened to in the garden. But when you listen to the voice of the Lord, when he speaks, you know that what he says is true. And when God speaks, I must listen Hear his voice. Harden not your hearts. It's what caused Samuel to respond in obedience. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's what caused dead men's bones to come alive. And he tells us quite clearly throughout the Scripture, not only will you hear from me, but I will hear from you. And so when he hears the cries of his people, he says to Isaiah, go and tell them, comfort them. Tell them that their sins have been paid. Tell them to pave the way. Tell them that their valleys will be exalted. Tell them that their mountains and hills will be made low. Tell them that the crooked will be made straight and the rough places plain. Tell them that the grass will wither and the flower will fade, but my word will stand forever. It'll stand when the Assyrians are long gone. It'll stand when Babylon has fallen. It'll stand when the Roman Empire implodes, when the Saxons invade, and when the Holy Wars come, and when the Nazis try to ban it and burn it. It'll stand when this world comes to an end, and when the United States is no more, and when all hope seems gone. <laughs> and when the rulers and the kings of this world rummage through the crumbling pieces of their fallen empires and domains, the King of kings and the Lord of lords will be seated on His throne at the right hand of the throne of God, ever living to make intercession for you. So what do we do in the meantime? He tells us what you have to do. He says you have to wait in hope for the time to come. Wait in hope world is starving for hope because when hope is gone, life is gone. Veterans who have served this country, many of them, take their lives every single day. The suicide rate in this nation is astronomical for what is considered to be the richest, most developed country in the history of the world by some measures. Why is that? Is it not because people have no hope? Or even more than that, is it because they've placed their hope in the wrong things and they've been disappointed? And so we see people who try to do that all the time. They hope that a relationship will fix them. They hope that having more money and a new job will fix them. They hope that, you know, being well-known will fix them. They, they hope for all these different things. But the Scripture says your hope has to be in the Lord. You have to anchor it when someone passes away and you don't know the reason why. 
when the people who you thought would never forsake you end up forsaking you. Because when hope is gone, life is gone. And Titus says, we look for this blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It won't come on the second Tuesday of November. Whoever wins the ballot, you won't experience real hope. It will come when the King and Kings of the Lord of Lords returns for His own. And He establishes His reign. And whenever you get so focused on here that you miss out on what's up there, you're in the same position as the children of Israel. And he closes out this chapter by saying it well to those who have no hope. He reminds them, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and those young men will utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. O Israel, he says... Hope in the Lord. Oh, church, hope in the Lord. Trust in your God. Live each day in light of His coming and help other people to see that hope. He calls us in the frailty of our bodies to make sure that it is well with our souls. Hope, he tells us, in the Lord. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.